Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Lucky Land Slots. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And during the few moments that we have left, we want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. Welcome back to the Buck and Roll podcast. This is a pretty special episode because I am hosting Sebastian High and Patrick Lorty is still on the panel. But he's I'm feeling the- lazy. I don't <laughs> feel like it. <laughs> and look, I, I really don't mind hosting for an episode. So this is going to be pretty fun. It's all good. And- like we were saying off air, you know, you've been getting a ton of like positive p- feedback because of your soothing radio voice. Oh, God. So- <laughs> yeah, <sure. laughs> yeah. But I am very glad. I'm very glad to lend you the big chair for today. So go ahead. Yeah. And we, I mean, we have loads to talk about. About because it's now been three weeks since we've had an episode and they've been rather eventful because Martin St. Louis has now coached nine games with the Habs. Eight, eight, yeah, nine games with the Habs now. And it it's night and day from the Ducharme uh, days as, as head coach. And we need to, to, to talk about this. And of course, we have loads of storylines to cover, including Jeff Petrie and Cole Caulfield, a bunch of draft stuff that I am rather excited to talk about, as you guys will all know. And um, we got rumors. And we have some rumors because we are approaching the trade deadline. It is now less than three weeks away and things are heating up in trade talks. Uh, I'm just going to preface this by saying that if Ben Schrott ends up as a Toronto Maple Leaf, um, my year will be made. Uh, I would be incredibly happy with that kind of a trade um but hey that's just that's just me uh so yeah i think i think we should probably just start with martin saint louis because this is the big change of the season it happened right right around the midway point of the year and 
it is truly a different team under St. Louis. It is, we went from a team that was painful to watch to a team that is must watch. It is completely different. It is fun, exciting, young, fast hockey. Yeah, but you're saying night and day. I think it's just a completely different universe at this point. It it really (laughs) is, isn't it? Right. So, so yeah, Pat, what, what can you say about the changes under Martin St. Louis? Good Lord. Yeah, I think, I think you, you, you covered most of it already by saying that, yeah, it's night and day. Uh, the team is performing so much differently uh, in, in many facets of the game. And obviously the, the energy is back. You know, and you're seeing like with guys like Jeff Petrie, for example, who was not giving any effort with under Dominique Ducham. And then you're seeing he's actually smiling. He's actually more implied, um, implicated. I mean, sorry. Uh, and the but the system itself or like Marty St. Louis likes to say, he, he calls it a concept. Concept. Concept consists of a two man four checking system. They go deep into the offensive zone. The third man kind of hanging back a little bit in the middle in the middle of the offensive zone, and defense pitches in on a whim. You know, they basically they, they, there's a lot of covering, so it requires a lot of hard skating. But Saint Louis gives his players a lot of creative freedom. You know, so that's why you're seeing guys like Josh Anderson playing like Josh Anderson is supposed to be playing. Cole Caulfield playing like he's supposed to be playing. You're not seeing guys like Arturi Lekkonen, for example, trying to be Connor McDavid. That was the big issue with Dusham's system. And it's also, and this is something that I've whined about for multiple episodes and even in my, in my writing on a winning habit. I mean, it's, Dusham is part of a problem with modern coaches in which he tries to control literally every asset of the game but not only in terms of where the players are going, but how they're thinking, how they're reacting. And, you know, bottom line is St. Louis is a breath of fresh air. Uh, It's working for now. And I guess we'll just have to wait and see if it actually uh, works in the long run. Josh, what are you thinking with with, uh, Martin St. Louis? Because I know that you appreciate hockey that's fun to watch. And Martin St. Louis hockey is nothing if not fun to watch. Well, I don't know if you guys follow much of the NFL football, but in mm. the, to tell your story in the uh, football, I don't follow it too much, but I like the storylines. Yeah. Stuff. The storylines are really fun though. And, and they make amazing movies like the, like, and, and, and like NFL videos, for example, are epic. You know, like the montages and the music is just like, okay, you know, I'm not a fan, but this is so freaking cool. Yeah. So it's, they're just fun to, Watch sometimes, and this year the Detroit Lions were having a season to remember in that they were awful, but were playing great. They'd lose every game, but their head coach, the new head coach this year, Dan Campbell, he had these guys like ready to do anything. They were pulling off like trick plays every every other play. Basically, they were just putting their all into it and it didn't matter if they were losing they wanted to win for this guy and I think that's what St. Louis really has done for this team unlike Ducharme who couldn't really get the guys behind him it seemed they always seemed to be a some sort of friction between the two groups of coaching and players that Martin St. Louis just doesn't have they want to win for this guy you could see that in the Winnipeg game where they're down for nothing and then come back to tie it 4-4 and 
the end result's unfortunate, and it's an NHL record now that they're the first team to come back from a four-goal deficit and then lose by four goals. But they came back from it, which is the big takeaway. And I don't think happens under Ducharme. I don't think they have that drive, that want to win as much under Ducharme as there is for legend the hall of famer martin saint louis let me let me interject for a second and josh like I mean, if you can if you could um, answer this as well is it is it a, a problem with the system is it a problem of control or is it just because the players weren't buying into the whole environment or philosophy behind his coaching because dominic Duchamp has been very successful on the junior level you know, and then he was actually like, you know, he was brought in very, very quickly to become um, Claude Julien's associate coach because like everyone was afraid that he was going to like another team was going to pick him up. So, I mean, like I, what what was the issue? Because you can't go from from going to the Stanley Cup finals one day and then next thing you know, no one wants to play for you. I mean, something must have happened. No. Yeah, it's hard to know exactly without really knowing the room but clearly I think with the way that the start of the season went it was a it's clearly a combination of everything the systems weren't working and the players didn't Ducharme didn't want to change up the systems to help the players and the players didn't want to change yeah, up to help yeah Ducharme. They- that's a good point. Remember, Jeff Petrie was actually op- openly saying that he didn't understand the system at all. And then he, yeah. he was blasting it when he was saying St. Louis. Yeah, at least with St. Louis, it's, you know, we understand what's going on. It's like, oof, okay, would have throw daggers there, bud. Yeah, there was clearly some sort of friction. And <laughs> I think he said there was just no, no defensive system at all at the end there, which is absurd for an NHL head coach and coaching staff to not have anything or to have players say that so I don't know if it's a question of how young and um, refined he is at the top level I don't think he was ever fired from a job in junior is what I heard no. at some point I don't it's think like so the first no. time he's ever been fired from a coaching job yeah so it's so something went wrong any job yeah <laughs> Well, I think he'll get another shot eventually. He'll definitely get an associate coaching job, I think, somewhere. And then we'll see. He'd have to rise up a bit more. And then we'll really see what he's built of when he gets a different team. But just something excellent wasn't point, yeah. clicking. That's an excellent point, Josh. Like, yeah, yeah, if he wants to make it back to the to the NHL, he probably won't be a head coach anywhere either an assistant or associate, or they'll give him a head coaching job in the AHL or something. But I got a feeling though, losing record and the way things happen and everything, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up taking a job in the, in the queue instead. Yeah. Because especially, I I just don't see why NHL teams would be like jumping at the chance of hiring him, looking at like just how good the Habs have been after they fired him. Right. Like, and the fact that it was immediate, how the players have reacted from it. That is a lot of red flags for a coach that I think NHL teams will be pretty afraid of. And I do want to add as well, I think one of the nice things about uh, having hired Martin St. Louis is the fact that 
I think he's playing a very important role on the team in terms of leadership because he is not long removed from being a player. He was, yeah. he was a player like what, five, less than five years ago. And this Canadians team has vocally been like in need of leadership, having lost Shea Weber, uh, Joel Edmondson has been injured all year. And now Tyler Toffoli has been traded, right? And we should probably address that as well. What do you guys think of the Toffoli trade? I, I'm just going to preface it by saying that I, I think it, it it's a trade that makes sense to have happened considering they wanted to go into a rebuild. Um, but the return wasn't necessarily what I'd hoped for. So what are your guys' takes on it? Well, the, the return was definitely a little bit underwhelming, uh, mostly, mostly because of the prospect that, that came back in uh, Emil Heinemann. Um, everyone was hoping for you know, like Jacob Petit or Dustin, Dustin Wolf, Wolf, you know, or so like Matthew Coronado, Marco those, Coronado those exactly. Three guys at the exactly, top. exactly. And there was and a they, lot and of, they got like the sixth guy, right? Yeah. So. There was actually a lot of leakage, uh, that's, uh, in the, in the rumor mill that, um, Ken Hughes was originally asking for one of Petit or Coronado. Yeah. And it turn, turns out that, um, uh, Trelleving over in Calgary, it was like, uh, no, we'll give you a first, we'll give you him, and that would be that. So, but apparently, Heineman was someone that has been on Jeff Gordon's radar for a while, exactly. And, and that, uh, that, 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 that I think it's an important thing, right? That the fact that it wasn't it wasn't a thing where they just wanted to add a prospect, and they're like, sure, that guy, it does really seem like Kent Hughes was like, we really want Heineman, and and they also had uh, Vincent Le Cavalier do scouting work on Heineman prior to yeah. the trade, yeah. right? So there, there definitely was preparation in that, right? It wasn't just... That's the thing. That's exactly what reactionary was... add someone in, right? Yeah, it wasn't just like take a random prospect and just say, you know, complete the trade and everything. There was actually a lot of scouting work that was done in Heineman. And anybody who's went through YouTube or even the, or Twitter for that matter, like, no, okay, yeah, like you see, there's some fun highlights. He yeah. seems He seems like a smart player. Now the question is, the guy is already in on his third team, and he still hasn't signed an entry level contract. Eh, I mean, so uh, does it mean anything? I, I, or? I really, I really don't think it does because just think of the trades that he was involved in. Right, one was to acquire Sam Bennett, who has been a top six forward in Florida. Yeah, and the second one has now been for Tyler Toffoli, who's a top six forward. Like, like I just think it's it's bad luck. And Kent Hughes was even saying, like, the first thing he did after the trade was call Heineman and be like, "We really, really wanted you." Uh, do mm. not think that you're throwing in this deal because that is not a thing at all. We really, really do want you. And um, so for, for everyone that is not aware, uh, Heinemann is this, uh, he's a winger and uh, he is like, his, his, I guess, identity as a player is being very intelligent, being pretty quick and yep. having a very good shot. It's a base for a player to, to really build off of. Right. And he's putting up decent numbers against pro competition right now, which is also pretty, uh, pretty nice to see, but I, I, I'm pretty doubtful of any top six upside. I think he, he really strikes me as like a prototypical future third liner, Yeah, which, which is a solid a, thing to add. It's and, good, but we also have a ton of those in Montreal to begin with. And how I, I, th- I still think he needs some time to develop. Right. So if yeah. you can just like take a couple of years, let him develop. And then he replaces one of those guys eventually, which allows you to trade them away and get more assets in return. That's solid, right? And th- third liners, especially yeah. under team control, are also going to be a lot more affordable. And right now, Montreal third liners are all like making $3.5 million a year. So it can also <laughs> allow you to maybe save some money down the road, which is a pretty good thing. 
Yeah, thank you, Paul Byron or Yoel Armia. So, um, <laughs> but the the obviously, and I'll throw it to Josh because I'm I'm taking up all your time, buddy. I'm sorry. I mean, that's what happens when you put the big mouth in the in the guest role instead. The <laughs> the, the exciting part, obviously, is that first round pick. I mean, yes, it is top ten protected, uh, but I think it's it won't be top ten. Yeah. But it won't be top 10. Uh, I'm sure Sebastian is excited. Somewhere out there, Scott Cowan is listening to us and being like mm-hmm. rubbing his hands, being like, yep, this is a fun draft that, that's coming up. And like anybody who, but anybody between 10 to 30 is going to be some, has the potential of becoming something special. Not ta- I'm not saying a generational player, but I'm talking about like a really solid NHL player. That being said, um, you know the the rest of the trade. Okay, you got that fourth round pick, or that was kind of. I guess that was the throw in in order to take on Tyler Pitlick's contract, yeah. who has yet to play a game, by the way. But uh, he has but, arrived at the Habs practice facility today. Yep. Yeah, that's what we heard. Yeah, exactly. He arrived at the Habs, which is ironic because he arrived at the Habs facility today when the team is in Calgary tonight on this by the way we're recording this on thursday evening um so that's kind of weird but like apparently that yeah, his wife uh gave birth to um to a new child but then i think i don't know if something happened because there was there literally no he was also was, injured it was two things was he injured really yes oh yeah, okay he was, he, he was on the ir so oh was, okay okay it, it was i was trying to find info that i couldn't time. find anything yeah I, so I, yeah i mean the um josh i think you'll agree with me i mean tyler Toffoli was such a cool guy and he was such a bargain four and a half million dollars a year and I forget like you know he's 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 everyone likes him uh fans and players alike his wife was was adorable taking pictures with his dog and everything like he was she was really she really loved montreal and i mean this is a guy you know you it's secondary scoring and in, in a hand in, in a handful right it's it's 20 25 goals a year and already the, he's played seven games in calgary and he's got five goals to assist so he's blending in perfectly um, and I mean, I, on the third line there, he's yeah, playing exactly. with Sean Monaghan and, Mina, and Milan Lucic. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. So like jo- Josh, I guess I'll ask you the question directly, buddy. I mean, was there a rush to trade to Foley? Should we have traded to Foley? And obviously what do you think of, of, uh, of the trade as a whole? Well, that's the kind of weird thing when you're looking at the hall and we're talking about how, kind of small and underwhelming is for the type of player Toffoli is because we all knew for almost weeks beforehand that Toffoli was going to be traded to Calgary. We were saying everyone had him penciled in there. So obviously Calgary was very, very interested and or desperate to get him that just this whole didn't seem huge. I don't mind the trade at all. Um, it could have been more, in my opinion, but when you look at names that people were trying to link, like Connor Zary and Jacob Pelletier, that they were their mid to late 20s first round picks, which is what Montreal's going to likely get out of the first round pick there. And now Trevor Timmons isn't directing anymore. So that means the uh, value of those trade, those draft picks just went up a little bit sky high (laughs) (laughs) and from the small things i've seen of heineman i like like his game he's a really good four checker he's got a lot of speed that can disrupt uh enemy enemy uh opponents defenders in the zone kind of like 
Joel Armia before Armia became a dirty word this year. But um, he's, I don't see his ceiling being higher than a bottom six forward, but he seems like a pretty good to be a bottom six forward in the future. But it really speaks to Toffoli's character and the type of person he is with the reactions that we're seeing when he left because he want, he said that he was interested in staying in Montreal for the rebuild. I believe I saw it on Twitter somewhere. He yeah. said that, yeah. And all the pe- there were so many people online and fan- fans, teammates that were just mourning the loss of Tyler Toffoli on this team. And he's only been on the team for a year and a half, really. And you kind of expect this from someone like uh, Brendan Gallagher, who's been on the team forever and is that beloved guy. But to fully manage to build that up in a year and a half, and that's just like a huge statement on what a great guy he seems to be in in the locker room, the world. He's just awesome. Yeah, and I, th- I think um, Sebastian, I don't know if you've, you've heard about, about this. Now, there's been talks that the Toronto Maple Leafs were really high on um, Toffoli, which is kind of ironic because it seems the Maple Leafs are high on everyone on the Canadiens uh, roster this year. I wonder why. wonder why. <laughs> it, it was 3-1. Um, and um, so, but the initial the initial negotiations was that obviously there would have had to be a throw-in contract, and the only one that made sense was, was having someone like Kyle Clifford being thrown in. So... You know, let's let's take, you know, let's take it into it with a grain of salt, obviously. But like from what I've been reading a little bit around the internet was Kyle Clifford and that Hughes was going aggressively um, uh, in order to get Timothy Lodigren, the defenseman, which I would have been happy with. But at the same time, it's like okay, but then even if you do get a first round pick with it, it would have been you know, bottom five, probably bottom six. Um, so mm-hmm. unless they, unless they emptied it up a little like, bit, I don't know, but like, I don't know. I'm just yeah. spitballing here at the same time. I mean, would the Canadians have gotten more for Toffoli? I, I say probably. I think so. Because it, look, if, if, if the Habs trade an expiring contract, like Ben Sherratt and the Leafs are bidding, doesn't matter. It's like, sure. Okay. We'll trade him to you with Tyler Foley because he has multiple years left on his contract. Exactly. He's locked into that contract. Yeah. Trading not only within the division, but to Toronto, they would have to pay, pay a real premium. Right. So I, I really do think they would have had to, to, to pay significantly more and that the Habs would have gotten a way better return. Um, I think one of the players that I would really have expected to, to get in return there would be Matthew Nyes, who is a, uh, Toronto yeah. second round pick this last season, and yeah. um, and he's been tremendous this year. Like yeah, he's been pretty like badass, it, yeah. it, 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 if there were a redraft right now, he'd be going top fifteen. No, like no question. Yeah, asked. like, like yeah. He's, he's 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 been terrific. He he like that would be a starting point for a deal. Um, other player that, that that you could be be going for would be Rasmus Sandin or Liljegren, right? But it would have been it would have been significantly there bigger, I do believe, than um, the Calgary deal. At the same time, now he's out of the division, and that's I think also a good thing for Habs fans because it it would have just been heartbreaking to have to play him in every single rivalry game against the Leafs. Whereas now, oh yeah, oh, yeah. 
it, there's more separation. At least, sitting, at least sitting him out west, we'll only see him like twice a year, so that's enough. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, so I, I, I think like the natural progression of this discussion is now leading us to other players that we might trade away in in the next well couple of weeks before the trade deadline and March twenty first. And if the the Tyler Foley trade is any indication, though that that did come right before the Habs winning streak of five games, uh, which smashed the previous season high of one. Some people obviously thought that like with that winning streak, the Habs aren't going to be going to like going through a, a full rebuild anymore. But again, it's one winning streak and you can't really put that much weight into it. But like what players do you guys want to have traded uh, between now and the deadline? Like, do you want to go like, like full scorched earth of like, okay, we need to get rid of like all the big contracts. Carry like, price. Okay, me not carry price because that's <laughs> no, 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 it's okay. ten Josh, million dollars to move. I'll let, in, I'll let mid, Josh go first, but yeah, <laughs> but like guys like Brendan Gallagher or uh, obviously Jeff Petrie, Terry Lekkinen, UL Armia. Those are all guys that could get moved. Do you want to move all those guys? Do you want to move like some of them, or do, are you just like actually we're playing pretty good hockey right now? Let's just stick with this team for now and see how they play under Martin Saint Louis. I think I've been clear lately when i think that the team should go more scorched earth than not um i don't think there's going to be very many suitors for some of the bigger contracts before the trade deadline i don't think you're going to be moving gallagher before the trade deadline i don't i feel like i feel like the la kings i feel with mark bergevin and the la kings i feel like that's a (laughs) mark bergevin would would move mountains to get Gallagher to LA. And well, I, if I he, really believe that. If he wants him that bad, he can get them, get him exactly. because Brandon Gallagher is an albatross right now. He's done squat this year. He yeah. looks like a guy who's, who's it's painful. It's so, it's, it's so, so painful. He's, he's trying so hard, but the results are just not there. And considering the amount of injuries he's had, and he's only 30 years old for a guy who's playing five, that kind of five role. Four years at 6.25, right? Like exactly on, on that, on that contract, honestly, he, he's the player that I, I just think if you're going through a rebuild, you have to move them, right? Especially considering the fact that, like, Martin St. Louis said after the Toffoli trade that Toffoli was the de facto captain in the locker room and it wasn't Gallagher. Like, the only reason to, kept him, to keep him around on that deal with his production right now is the, would be the fact that he takes on the role as, like, captain and makes him impossible to move. But because he isn't doing that... I feel like he he's the player you have to move as much as it will break my heart because I mean look Gallagher was, was my favorite player growing up um I I've loved watching him but it, I just from like a business point of view with the Habs it makes no sense to keep him around because the production isn't there and yeah like you just even if you only get like a second or, and a third round pick in return you just you Christ, have I take to a get... seven. I take a seventh round pick at this point. Just uh, if it gets us rid of that yeah. contract, uh, I, I love the guy, but he's useless right now. And then he probably it's pain, it's it's, really he's not he's never going to merit the contract he has now. Uh, Josh, you were uh, continue. You were you were, you were saying who you, who you wanted to trade? Yeah, it, uh, it's it's would be great to trade Gallagher. And if you're really sad about Gallagher, just think. You could trade him to a Stanley Cup, Stanley Cup contender, and then he could win a Stanley Cup, hopefully, because he's 
probably not going to do that in Montreal because I think we should blow it up and then we'll just uh, be, be back there in a few years when Gallagher will be sadly totally irrelevant because of his size and the game that he plays, which is a great game, but totally does not lend itself to their players and he's starting to get up there. It's just that contract and that size of that length of time that it's on, I think it's going to be to move at the deadline. But, I mean, Ben Sherratt's got two feet out the door already at this point. He's going to be – the talk of him has kind of cooled down lately, but I still think he can get pretty much almost what we got for Toffoli from a team that's desperate enough, probably, possibly even more a better prospect than Heinemann, but definitely a first round pick and a prospect thrown in there. And Petrie, I think, I think it's best for the team that he moves on. It was tough to see him start, but now that he's gotten better, he's gotten the, uh, he's gotten his trade value up that we can act, get something from him. Y'all are me as a name that I've seen around, but I don't know if you really want to get rid of him because he's been so invisible this year that I would kind of try and hope for something a little bit more next year and then flip him next year rather than... I mean, he's not going to be worse next year than he's been this year, right? Like, he's he's going to have to improve, especially if you trade away, like, Brendan Gallagher, that, that pushes Armia up the depth chart. And... Yeah, again, he ha- he has the 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 profile of a player that NHL GMs love, right? Like he's big, he's strong, he's a great shot. It's just not going his way this season. But yeah, like honestly, it goes it goes back to to uh, uh, selling high and buying low. I don't think he's getting moved until he's like out of the slump and is producing. And if that's in the off season or if it's next year, doesn't really matter. But I think he's eventually going to be gone. But I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. But the other big name that that will, or big names that could still be, get moved that we haven't mentioned yet are Arturi Lekkonen and Jake Allen. And so, what do you guys think of moving them? And what do you think the returns could be with those? Yeah, we haven't mentioned that because I didn't get my opinion yet. Jeez, give me a chance, bud. <laughs> I'm sorry, Pat, you've had no chance to speak this entire episode yet at all. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> now, to be to be fair, uh, yeah, Lekkonen and Allen were, were two of the guys I, w- I was going to mention, but there comes a little caveat that comes with it as well, because you have to look at the Canadians as a whole, and you've got to f- consider two very important aspects. The, f- the first one being that there are seven players on the IR right now, not including Shea Weber and Carey Price. Weber, we know he's gone. He's retired. Like He's going to be eating the rest of the contract until the end of the 25-26 season. Carey Price, it's up in the air. You know, he could be back this year. I think he's going to be shut down until next year. Maybe he's going to try to come back, but it's it's a kind of, you know, we'll see type situation. And now you're looking at Drouin, Dvorak, Savard, Edmondson, Byron, Allen, and Tyler Pitlick, who are all on the IR. So you have to take into consideration who's going to be back, who's going to be not. But, I mean... Under normal circumstances, see, this is this is why it's so much fun to speculate about the Canadians' rebuild, because when you're running the Montreal Canadiens, 
you can't rebuild on the classic way that a rebuild is supposed to be done. Trade away everyone, tank for a few years, get all the higher picks, and then start over. You know, the Oilers have done it. The Blackhawks have successfully done it. The Penguins have done it successfully as well. The Kings have done it as well. The Bruins have done it. All Stanley Cup champions today, right? Now, the issue with that is that you're in Montreal. Any other city except for maybe Toronto and Vancouver. Well, in Vancouver, you might be able to pull it off. But Toronto, you can't pull that kind of thing off. The Rangers, you can't pull that kind of thing off either. These are mega markets with mega money and mega endorsement deals. And the fans just won't allow it. You know, I know that we have to get past the idea that we're the greatest franchise in the world. We are not. We are no longer the greatest franchise in the world. Okay, when it's been over, when it's been 30 years, you haven't won a Stanley Cup. You could stop calling yourself the greatest franchise ever, even if we have 24 banners up in the rafters. Right. Personally, if I were if I were sitting in in, in um, Kent Hughes chair. Yeah, I I'd, I'd sell everything. Everyone is up for grabs. But and then, you know, you, you, you get the right players, you know, in return. But now this is a situation where you can't do that. So, yeah, you, you got guys like Ben Sherratt. Who's gonna? Who's, who's probably gonna fetch a first rounder? We're just waiting for the one team to call, being like, "I'm giving you a first round pick." Cool, done. Let's get out of here. Jake Allen is someone who's most likely going to leave because now we have a we have a sudden logjam between the pipes with Samuel Montembeau, who's who's doing well. Price might return. Andrew Hammond has been doing very good on emergency loan, and you have to take in consideration that Caden Prebo needs a legitimate shot at some point in goaltending more than you know, crummy, crummy seven, nothing games and everything as a backup. But uh, this is a situation where you have to look at the team and being like, do you want to be here or not? You start with that question. So obviously the whole Jeff Petrie scenario is up in the air because we've seen his true colors under Duchamp, but now he wants to play again. So kind of wishy-washy. And unlike what Josh is thinking, I think if he does get traded, it's going to be an off-season affair just so they can slash off a year on his contract. And at 6.25 million a year, you know, it's like it's it, with the cap. The, the cap is not moving again this year. So a lot of teams are going to have it would be struggling with that. And taking consideration as well, Josh, uh, Petrie has a 15 team no trade list on his contract. So there's a lot of teams that have the cap space that won't be able to take him, you know, unless we take horrendous contracts in return which might be possible with scenarios like Yoel Armia, for example. I mean, if you can get rid of Armia's $3.4 million contract, sure, I'll take P.K. Subban for a year, you know, at half his salary. And the next thing you know, you go, you got rid of, you got rid of Armia's bad contract. You have a head case in Subban who's going to entertain everyone for the rest of the year. And the worst case scenario, you let him walk UFA. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. But guys like Mike Hoffman, for example, you know, you can cut him loose for a second rounder probably easily. But again, that might be something in the off season because he still has two years left in his contract. Uh, by the way, Sebastian, Brendan Gallagher, that's a six-year contract. He has five years left on his contract. I know. Six I know. and a half million. That's, that's brutal. This, this is why I'm hoping for LA because it's the only team where one of the people in a position of actually like making the trade will be blinded by his love of the player, right? Yeah. Exactly. And, it, I mean, it's the same person that, that, that signed the contract. So 
I think LA is the best the best option. Plus, I mean, the LA Kings they they also traded for Victor Arvidsson in the off season, uh, who plays a style not too dissimilar to Gallagher. So th- they already have some of those like wingers that are playing that same style. So if they want to bring in Gallagher, and plus they have so many great prospects that you can try <laughs> to pry out. Oh yeah, that that'd be great. But, but- um just yeah. to finish what I, just to finish what I was saying uh, for thirty seconds, um, the big thing to take into consideration as well is that yes, there are going to be some veterans who are going to leave. That's that. There's no doubt there. And also, we already have a hint as to what kind of rebuild we're going to get, and that's going to be the type of rebuild Jeff Gordon did with the New York Rangers. Now, okay, no, we're not going to get an Artemi Panarin. I'm sorry, he already wanted to go with the Rangers at the time, so that doesn't really count unless. Philip Forsberg decides to sit and sign with us, which I would be ecstatic. Or Thomas uh, Hurdle. Or Thomas Hurdle. Yeah, that would be that would be pretty badass. But that's exactly where I'm, I'm heading towards. It's been said, it's you know, it's more than just a hint, it's a fact. The Canadians will be going um into the offseason with the goal to attract a high-priced free agent. We're not talking yeah. about just salary, we're talking about named Christopher Letin. Uh, has hinted many times he would love to finish his, his his career in Montreal and his contract status is up in the air in Pittsburgh. Um, you know, you got obviously got uh, Patrice Bergeron. I don't think he's going to go anywhere uh, other than Boston. He's a Boston lifer as far as, I, as I'm concerned. Um, you got you mentioned Thomas Hurdle, Philip Asmus Ristolainen could be an interesting pick because please, no, s- please God, no. Oh. no, 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 no. He's so bad. He Why not? He's such a bad player. No, Why no, not? He... he- <laughs> His actual like like okay, he's an offensive defenseman who's atrocious defensively, who has put up twelve points in forty five games this year. He is not okay. a good player. He no, put no. Him. I w- I wouldn't pay two million dollars <laughs> for him, let alone the six and a half he's going to ask for. No, what no. if you give him Pat, a one no. year a one year prove it contract? No. Who else, who else do we have in defense? He already, that can do he what already declined a six times six point three offer from New Jersey. He's not taking a one year deal. Can you blame uh, him? Do you want to play in New Jersey? <laughs> Why would you want to take a one-year deal on a rebuilding team? Because of Martin Saint Louis. No, not not a one-year deal, and it's bad. At hey, hockey. if you're telling He's me not that... a good player, no, Pat. This is what <laughs> I am not budging on this one, Pat. No Clearly. way. He's not. Dude, I have watched him play a decent amount this year, and every time he's been the worst player on the ice. He's been worse than than the thirteenth forwards playing on the opposing teams. He's been so rough to watch. Like honestly, like I, I if the Habs like signed him to a massive deal or traded for him at the deadline, I can't even explain how sad I'd be. Like it would okay. Worst case scenario. Let's say let's say just for just for you know s h i t and giggles that we have we get Ristolainen and he does like he did in Buffalo gives us 40, 45 points a year despite like he was his... the worst he was one of the worst defensive players in the entire league in that stretch and as a defenseman you have to be able to play so defense what what's the difference between Chris Wyman and and, and Rasmus Ristolainen tell me I'd rather have Chris Wyman at the same salary. As then Rasmus Ristolainen, and I'm not. Oh, I'm come not, on! No, no, no. Seriously, <laughs> I, I'm not like I'm, I'm actually serious with that. I I, I think Chris Weidman is a better player than Rasmus Ristolainen. Okay, we'll agree to disagree on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like I'm just saying, like you know, who else do do we have that could actually quarterback a power play? 
No Chris Weidman. Weidman. I would take him ahead of Bristol. Give me a break, Chris Weidman. Chris Weidman's a seventh defenseman who's who, who's there in a pinch yeah. when someone's injured. No, I, you know, I, I don't but, think he's a great player, but but even no, that, okay. like, okay, aside but, from Petrie, we don't have anybody. No, sure. I would I would actually be very curious to see how um, uh, Corey Schooneman would do backing a power play. His oh, why passing not? has been tremendous uh, at five on five. I think, and every time I've seen him quarterback a power play in Laval, he's been very good at it. I think mm-hmm. he's worth a, a shot at that. I wouldn't mind seeing Romanov used as a power play quarterback. I, I don't <laughs> think you go and overpay for a defensive liability in order to get a power play quarterback. Worst case scenario, use a forward as a power play, power play quarterback and go for a five forward unit. Unit. I much prefer that than uh, going for someone who is hamstringing you at five on five. I'm thinking uh, we pick up Ristolainen, pick up Subban, and go deep diving for Bedard. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. That I can get on board with. Blue line ever. <laughs> Throw the it, games. As long as it would be that hypothetical like one-year deal for Ristolainen and we're not trading for him, sure, give 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 me that because the tabs will, I, I can guarantee you, will be very bad. So... You know what? It's yeah. actually more the worst part, Josh, is that this is actually more feasible than our dream team of Patrick Roy, Bob Hartley, and John Tortorella behind the bench. <laughs> yep. I'm so glad none of those guys were hired. <laughs> I gotta say. Yeah. Okay. So I think I think we should probably move on from uh, Ristolainen now. Let's um, please <laughs> and, and maybe maybe focus on. Um, some some players that we can all agree have been wonderful to watch this season. And uh, the two guys that come to mind immediately, especially since St. Louis hiring, are Josh Anderson and Cole Caulfield. Uh, Josh, you go first. Talk about either one or both. Just what has it been like watching them, especially comparing it them under St. Louis and under Duchamp? It's going back to what, my dad said weeks and weeks ago when he came on the podcast, the passion is back, the fun, the excitement. You just see it in his face, like whatever Caulfield scores a goal and he has that celebration that he does every goal that he's been in the league for like less than a year and he's already got an iconic celebration. That's pretty uh, sweet, but he's it's the passions back Josh Anderson's playing like he played in Columbus where he almost scored uh was it was it 30 or 40 goals he almost scored that year. He had 27 goals that year. 27, almost 30. He's playing like that again and he's playing like we know he could play and that he hasn't played for most of the season. He's using his feet, he's building up steam he's using his size he's doing everything that we know he can and we're seeing everyone's full potential it seems now that Sandy's come in and it's just doing wonders for the development of Cole Caulfield like imagine this production over a full 82 game schedule like what we got earlier it's just heartbreaking to look back on it now really to see what could have been this year but we got something else instead they're just the passions back that's the big thing everyone wants to play everyone wants to win rather than kind of going into it with this every game seemed like this dejected atmosphere of oh we're 
we've lost like 10 in a row it's we're gonna lose whatever but now it's like we got a win for Martin St. Louis this this god this hall of famer this larger than life image and it's what Cole Caulfield is or aspires to be in the future basically a small goal scoring point scoring machine and it just makes the future so much more brighter than it was just two weeks ago. I think the um, the big th- <laughs> for the fun thing you were talking about Caulfield exactly. Yeah, he must look at, Mar- at Marty Saint Louis, and what I've, everyone is, is is seeing as well is that you look at Saint Louis, you do copy, paste, insert an ice, and there's Marty Saint Louis in a nutshell, basically. But the the, the important the important aspect in Caulfield's development. And this is a very, very underrated thing that not a lot of people seem to, to talk about, maybe just because of, you know, uh, the, the way that he's playing right now. It kind of just overshadows everything. Cole Caulfield entered the NHL, you know, and coming off a 30-goal season in, in Wisconsin, um, scored, like I think, like three goals or something in Laval the same year and everything. And then he scores four goals in, I think, 10 games if I remember correctly and uh, gets into the playoffs and it's, you know, everything was magic, but when he got into the playoffs and he was, he was put on the line with Jonathan Drouin and Nick Suzuki for the longest time. And Nick Suzuki told Cole Caulfield, you're a great shooter, but pass the puck more because you have incredible vision. And he's so right. Caulfield has this insane vision and he's all, and he always seems to know where everything is on the ice. And then a lot of people were, were telling like that in scouting reports when they were watching him in university of Wisconsin, he's on one end of the ice one second. And the next thing you know, he's in front of the net and you have no idea how he got there. And he's able to read the ice. Like there's like, like there's no tomorrow. And it translated into him starting to pile on the assists. I'm like, yeah, Caulfield scored something like seven goals in half an hour or whatever the, uh, the streak was. Uh, he also has 12 assists this year. And a lot of these assists were primary assists and him setting up the play as well. So he's doing exactly like St. Louis did at the beginning, not just necessarily be a sniper, but being a playmaker as well and being too to uh, develop that and that's so important as well especially when your teammates are nick suzuki who's just a bona fide playmaking two-way center and you got you know of course power horse on the right side who's playing like a power forward should you know you take the puck you crash the net you hope for a rebound or you know you use your size and grit and whatnot and yes josh anderson is as streaky as they come that's the, that's every power uh, power forward has gone through the same thing. Heck, the best power, like one of the best power forwards in the game was in the nineties was John Leclerc scores 50 goals every year, but man, he could be invisible for 20 games. But the next thing you know, he'll score 20 and 20 games again, you know? So it's, it's, it's just, it's in their style of play, depending on the schedule and everything. But man, guys, that just this line of Caulfield, Suzuki and Anderson on paper, you're like, what? Three, three righties. That doesn't make sense, but it works. You got it's your line. Type. Like, yeah. It's been the first the, the first time that we've had a first line with first line skill in a long time. I'm not discounting in any way the the Gallagher Tatar to no first line because I loved that line. That was one of the best five, five on five lines in the league, but it was not of the caliber in terms of skill and excitement to watch of a regular first line. Yeah, because we've had, Anderson, we've had a lot Caulfield, of duos. Suzuki has been. 
yeah, yeah. we have a lot of duos. You know, we remember Pacioretty with David Deardne. Yeah. You know, but who was playing right? Everyone. Yeah. You know, and, I think again, I think look, it goes back to the '90s where it was like Brian Savage, Saku Koivu, and Mark Recchi was <laughs> was the first yeah. line. That's it. At, <laughs> at the same time, this line has been together for seven games. We can't, we can't start talking like that yet. But the early returns have been tremendous. And again, well, above let's, all, let's, let's for, take any positive we can. <laughs> exactly. Look, it, it's a lost season, and especially this line has been tremendously fun to watch. And their chemistry together early on has been great. Also, the fact that Josh Anderson is on pace to score 25 goals this season is absurd. Like, how did that happen? He just he came out of nowhere and now is like, oh, he he he's going to possibly break his career high in goals this year. What? How did that happen? Especially considering that he was injured for like two months. Like, what? <laughs> it's, yeah, again, it, it, it's just nice to have some of these fun storylines going on because... It, it's been, I mean, it was a rough season beforehand. It, it was to the point where watching the Habs, at least for me, it was it, it was becoming like a thing where I feel like I had to watch. I never wanted to watch the Canadians play because it was just painful. It was ugly hockey. There was nothing fun about it. Whereas now. Oh, no, no, no. Absolutely. And I'm, I think, I'm excited I think, to watch the team play. Yeah. I mean, weren't you, I don't know about you, but like I watched the Winnipeg game and. So that was wild. <laughs> that was so crazy. I was like, it was four nothing. I'm like, oh, four goals and six shots. All right, here we go again. But you know what? Let's see. You know, and I love, by the way, if anybody yeah. who hasn't seen Sebastian's meme on Twitter, please go see it. That was hilarious. <laughs> he, he posted yeah. a side by side shot of Martin Saint Louis in the first period and Martin Martin Saint Louis in the second period. It was hilarious when he's like all bummed down there when he's smiling. But that's but that's what that's the thing. They are so yeah. much fun to watch, even when they're getting beaten up. You know, and then like you know, they exactly. go. It's you know, four one, four two, four three. Hat trick. Hey, Josh Anderson, cool. Four four. Holy wow, we got a game going on. You know, and then yeah, it, it went downhill in the third period. And uh, you know, one day when we get have time, Sebastian, we need to talk about the power play because it's pretty anemic. Um, yeah, and, but I mean, it was so entertaining. You know, even aside from the Mark Shifley antics and everything, you know, they they fought. Like crazy, even when they were down seven four, you know it was it's Damn. it's 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 refreshing. And you know what? I mean, if we're everyone says this, if we're gonna lose, at least lose with pride, at least lose by with hard work, you know, at least make it worth coming to the arena and whatnot. Which clearly under Duchamp that wasn't happening anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, and okay, Pat, I feel like we've been kind of hogging the microphone in, in this episode so far. So I know I sorry. think we should probably pass this on to, to Josh for his segment, which we all adore, This Day in Habs History. Josh, go ahead. On this day, the year of our Lord, 1920, the Montreal Canadiens set the record for most goals scored by a single team in a single game as they beat the Quebec Bulldogs 16-3. All five Canadian skates got on the score sheet. Harry Cameron and Nuzi Lalonde scored four goals each. Didier Pitre and Odie Cleghorn both had hat-tricks. And Amos Arbor scored two. In 1968, Jean Beliveau scored his 1,000th in a 5-2 loss to the Detroit Red Wings. Comes in just Belvo's 911th game, and he would finish with 1,219 points in his career, all with the Canadians. 
At that point, Bovo was just the second player to break the 1,000-point plateau, behind none other than his opponent that night, Gordy Howe, who would end his historic career with 1,850 points. When it comes to Canadians, Belvo is just passed by one player in points, and that is Guy Lafleur, with 1,246 points. And don't worry, we'll get him more later. And Henri Richard, who scored 1,046 points, who was born on a leap day. Unfortunately, this is an elite year, so I don't get to talk too much about Henri Richard. And March 3rd is the birthday of Habs pick Stefan Robida, who played only just two seasons with Montreal before being claimed by the Dallas Stars. And another Canadian was born today, Alexander Semin, who is a fight superstar in my opinion. If you haven't seen the video of Alexander Semin fighting, do yourself a favor and go look that up now. On March 4th, 1981, the Montreal Canadiens beat the Winnipeg Jets 9-3. There's that guy, Guy Lafleur. He scored two goals and one assist for three points on the night. His third point was his 1,000th of his career. At that point, Guy Lafleur was the 15th player to break that barrier. He has scored the most points in a Canadiens uniform with 1,246 and is currently 29th all-time in NHL points. However, there are two players above him that did spend somewhat brief times in Canadians' uniform. That is the 19th most point in the league, Doug Gilmore, who scored just 71 of his 1,414 points with Montreal, and then Mark Reckie, who is 13th all-time with 1,533 points. Recky has a few interesting records behind his name. He's the oldest player to score in the Stanley Cup final at 43 when he won the Stanley Cup as a member of the Boston Bruins. He's the old player to have recorded five assists in a single game at 41. And he was the first player to ever take two penalty shots in a single season for two different teams. When he played, when he took a penalty shot as a member of the Philadelphia Flyers and as a Montreal Canadian in 1985. Of course, he missed those two shots, but it's in the history books, anyways. Isn't it crazy, Josh, that Mark Recchi has, what, 577 goals, over 1,500 points in his career? And yet he's still considered as an underrated player. Like his entire career yeah, is just he's an underrated. He's insane. The guy was so good and so valuable, you know, and he was just like a, a constant uh, point getter. He was so darn good. I loved him when he was in Montreal, man. He was, he was really, really amazing. It was really sad to see him go. As a flyer, he has the most points in a season, single season at 123 points. It's it's crazy, man. Yeah, and I think with that, we should probably segue into my own segment of the prospects because we do really have a lot to talk about. So the first thing that we should probably start with is um, the Ivan Marashnashenko storyline that came up today. 
And that is about the fact that uh, this is a player who has contracted Hodgkin's lymphoma and, um, and it has been declared that he's out obviously for this season, but for the entirety of next season as well, which is huge news um, because this is a player who at the beginning of the season was seemed to be a lock for a top five draft pick. And since then he's been dropping on most lists um, falling to between 10th and 25th on most lists. Um, But with, with this um, illness scare, uh, which obviously right now the, the the biggest thing is just hoping that he recovers soundly and can live a regular life. And then the next hope is that he can continue to play hockey. And then only after that comes the hope that he can still be an NHL player. But obviously a lot of teams are going to be scared off by this because uh, this is a huge thing to go through, especially for a 17 or 18 year old kid. Um, and yeah, so it's definitely going to be something to, to follow um, uh, and just see if he falls like the third round in this year's draft or if a team at the second round decides to take a big swing and just really hope that he recovers soundly because there is precedent in terms of hockey players recovering from Hodgkin's lymphoma, which uh, Patrick did want to talk about a little bit. Well, I wanted to talk about it. It was more, uh, it's the, it's the most famous uh, recovery of Hodgkin's lymphoma. And that's the one of obviously number 66, Mario Lemieux, Le Magnifique. And um, it's, yeah, it's a similar situation, but I mean, man, it's, it's, it's a little tough to talk about because only because he's Russian in this case, you know, and with Russia being banned left, right and center from doing anything, you know, which everyone has their, their opinions about um, it's going to be hard to see him have that feel good comeback story, but I'm still rooting for him. I mean, this is, you know, he's got nothing to do with the war going on right now and everything. And he, you know, we, we, we sincerely hope that, re- that he recovers, but like the best case scenario in someone like him would be exactly someone takes a flower at him in the late rounds. He recovers, makes it to the NHL and just starts scoring goals like crazy, like he's been doing in the KHL, right? I mean, this, this guy has so much talent. It's ridiculous, you know? And it's like, and, and I think, honestly, if he was Canadian, he'd, he'd probably be fighting Shane Wright in the number one or worst case, number two uh, picks and everything. But, I mean, again, I'm just, I'm a little biased because I like, I love this type of, you know, speedy Pavel Burry meets Alexander Mogilly style players. Ooh, he, but he's not, he's not, uh, yeah, he's not quite that. But, um, but okay, like, okay, he's not going to score ninety goals a year. We know that. No, but no, like, no, no. But it, I'm saying my point. My, my point was speed. We, like he, he's pretty quick, but he's not. He's not Pavel Burry type no, speed. No, obviously, I but um, but yeah, like again, at, at this point, obviously, you can hope that he that he can resume his NHL like his hockey career at some point. But really the main thing here is just hoping that a teenager can recover from this because that is really the main beat thing to it, focus on. Beat it and never look back. Let's, exactly. Let's, right. Let's because that. like whenever you see a teenager or a kid or just any young person go through something like this, um, it's just heartbreaking, right? Like someone so young and, it, and having so much adversity so, so quickly like that. Yeah. Anybody who's going through like a life altering, uh, whether it's 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 an illness or a surgery or anything like yeah. that, you know, it's like you, you never wish that on your worst enemy, and you just hope that hey, man, 
Just keep looking, looking at the, the positive side of life and fight, fight Owens fight. <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah. never stop, man. Yeah. 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 And obviously we had to talk about that on, on the prospect segment because it's, it's a huge development with the NHL draft class, because this was a player who, I mean, I still believe on Bob McKenzie's list that he's in the top like five or six. Um, so that again, th- this is definitely going to impact the draft on top of obviously impacting, uh, his life, but yeah. And, and just a, a very smooth transition now from, from that kind of serious thing to just talking about prospects and their per- per- performances. Um, two, two guys that I, I really wanted to just kind of like talk a little bit about are actually teammates, uh, for Moose John, the WHL. And that would be uh, Denton Matejchuk and Jagger Furkus. And uh, Jagger Furkus has uh, already been mentioned on this podcast, though it has not been for his hockey skill. It's just been purely because he has a great name. Uh, but I think today we should do him some justice and actually talk about what kind of a hockey player he is, because we can't just be naming names without going into detail here. Um, and yeah, so so Jagger Furkus is a uh, he's a left shot right winger. Um, and he has been steadily rising up boards this entire season. Like he started up, up like, like being like, like a projected third or fourth rounder. And now he's pretty, pretty strongly in the second round and make, even making some first round boards. Um, and he's very, very fun to watch because he has tremendous playmaking. His release is great. And he's, he's one of the more entertaining offensive players in the WHL, which is a very defense heavy league. Uh, and actually seeing some like sparkling offense from that league is always quite noticeable. And yeah, he, he he's just been very fun to watch because he, he has a great one timer on the power play and he can really pick his corners. So as a shooter, he's a very intriguing option as a potential, like maybe down, like if he develops right, he can be a middle six scorer, which is always really fun. And I, I've just liked his game a lot because uh, he, he's a decent skater, but he just he, he has some sparkle in his game of just every time he's on the ice, you notice him. And it's just it's, it's really endearing. And I, I he's one of the players I'm just kind of cheering for because I just like I just like him a lot. But his teammate, Anton Matejchuk, is definitely before, the most. Before you oh, go, go ahead, there, so go that- ahead. We go this much. I find it very impressive and kind of hilarious at the same time that a guy who scores 30 goals in the WHL is more impressive than a guy who gets 100 points in the queue because of the completely different styles. It's, 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 it's ridiculous. It's yeah. insane. It's like, it's, like, it's like Quebecers can't play defense. Oh, wait, we yeah. can't. Mm-hmm. It's, all, it's, also, it's true. It's, 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 it's a fact, you know, like yeah. you look at the queue and everything and people are getting 60, 70 goals a year, hundred points. The goaltenders have a 3.8 uh, goals, uh, goals against average, but mm-hmm. yeah, it is what it is. And in, in WHL, it's the complete opposite. You know, you would think yeah. Jacques Lemaire is running the entire league, you know, it's, it's, it's <laughs> crazy. Yeah. And, and it, it's also like, like this next play that I'm going to talk about kind of makes all of that a little bit, like, seem a bit nuts because Denton Matejchuk is incredibly skilled. He's a defense. He, he, he's a defenseman, but <laughs> big but. He um, his offense is is what makes him a special player. He defensively isn't really a factor. He's especially playing in 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 the WHL. He stands out like a sore thumb because his defense is like even if you put him in the queue, he'd be a mediocre defenseman defensively, and. As you probably heard during my Rasmus Ristolainen rant earlier, 
that's not always something I love because I think defensemen need to know how to play defense because, well, they're defensemen. However, with Matejchuk, it's the fact that his his skill is is so impressive. Like he he plays a Kale McCarr style game of just super aggressive. Like in like when they lose the puck in the offensive zone, he's extremely aggressive to try to pinch and steal a puck right back. Whenever the puck is on a stick, he wants to do everything with the puck himself. He's not one to delegate that responsibility to his forwards. He he wants to make things happen and he can do it because he has decent skating, which he really needs to improve upon if he wants to actually excel in the NHL. But uh, his playmaking, his, vi- his vision is top five in the entire draft. In my opinion, I, he it's, it's staggering. It's, it's, it's tremendous. And well, he's definitely, he, I wouldn't be surprised to see him go in the top 10. If he's well, I would be shocked. Or, I would be shocked to see him go top 10 personally. I, I think I, I think he has, I a, he has a fair happen. chance, but I, we might. I think, but first round for sure, though. I mean, I think we can agree on that. If if he if I think he, he doesn't should. get drafted in the first I don't know round, if he will. I will be shocked if he. I don't, I don't know if he will round. because again, NHL teams will want to. Like, they value defense a lot, right? And like the reason that I'm so high on him is the fact that I think that his style of play is one that you can really mold into becoming a winger. And if I draft him, I would I would really, really, really encourage him to make a shift to playing wing because his skill set is tremendous for that. Honestly, like, like he has game-breaking oh, ability. Maybe it's, we could ask this... Maybe we could Incredible. ask the same thing. Maybe we could ask the same thing to Rasmus Ristolainen. It's way too late. It's way <laughs> too late for that. Buddy, come on. No. No. I mean, I, I have more time for Ristolainen as a winger than Ristolainen as, as, as a defenseman. Still, <laughs> I had to. <laughs> I know you did. Um, but yeah, no. But we're look, but we're looking at a very interesting prospect, nonetheless. Exactly. Right? And, and, and I mean, and, yeah. I mean like Matejchuk has this ability of of like pinching offensive mm-hmm. zone, uh, going in behind the goal line, and then just creating from like not quite the Gretzky office because he does most of it like from the side, no, but like, he's behind still like- the goal, but like behind, but like to the sides of it, but it's, it's, it's really incredible to watch because he is such a unique player in, in that, like, I, I, I don't know a single NHL player that really plays the way he does. I, I made the Makar comparison, but obviously Makar is another level on everything that Mateja can do because it's Kale Makar. But also, Makar is good defensively, whereas Mateja isn't really, I've which been, is why I'd consider a shift to forward very strongly. I, had a, I have a buddy of mine who lives out, who lives out west, actually. He was telling me, um, Yo, yeah, you know, if you have a chance, take a look at uh, you know, Mateja and everything. And I, I, I look at some highlights and everything. and and I was like, man, I'm seeing a lot of Quinn Hughes in his play. You know that mm-hmm. aggressive yet confident play when he's out, when he's carrying the puck, and he's and he's setting people up and everything. And that's just from the, the little like highlights that I've seen and everything. And it's something that we're seeing more and more in modern hockey. You know, like defensemen who like who really yeah. trying to drive the puck up, and it's also um, a reflection of the modern style of hockey play. You know, where coaches are encouraging, you know, the the drive to start with a defenseman rather than the centerman. You know, sure. it's like, you know, so like that's how like, you know, okay, yeah. As controversial as he is, uh Subban when he won the Norris during those days, that's exactly what he was doing. He was the guy carrying the puck up. Sometimes he would embellish and you know make mistakes, but 
it makes not only for entertaining game, but it keeps the, the opposing defense on their heels so much more because you open up so many options, right? Yeah. And, and every, everyone has seen Miracle, right? You know, you go here, you, you go up, and what does that create? Options. And that's exactly yeah. what we're doing with this these run-and-gun type defensemen, just like Matejchuk. I, I think I think the main reason that I, I really want him to switch to forward rather than stay at, as a defenseman is that all those players that you mentioned, like also with Subban, like in his prime, tremendous skaters, right? Like like their skating has been a standout quality, whereas that is not the case. Just like Hughes. Matejchuk and and, just like, yeah. and and Quinn Hughes. Whereas with Matejchuk, that isn't really the case, which is why I'm more concerned of if he stayed as a defenseman. I don't know how often he'll be able to use this ability in the NHL because he won't be able to get into a position to, to like really make use of it. However, if he's a, as a winger, he's already more in a position of making use of that extraordinary playmaking ability. And he, he's, he's just, he's definitely one of the most entertaining players to watch in this entire draft class. And like, I, I, I think he's pretty clearly like a, a, one of the, the, the three most fun players to watch. He's more fun to scout than uh, Shane Wright. I think that's like by, 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 by quite a fair margin because Shane Wright is a very intelligent, but he doesn't have that dynamism and flair that Matejchuk does. Uh, again, I'm not, I'm in no way saying that Matejchuk should be drafted before Shane Wright. I'm just saying in terms of like, when I have like a list of players I want to scout, I look, I look forward more to watching Matejchuk than I do Shane Wright because it's just every time he has the puck in the offensive zone, it's it's so entertaining and yeah he he's he's a type of player that i think the habs could uh really target with that calgary draft pick i think um like th- that like the list that i would really go after of of players um first name on my board would be brad lambert if he somehow falls to like 20 which is possible because he's just not putting up any points no. at all it's possible eh, pat mm. Eh. Mm. Mm, yeah, I, I think it's it's, it's, it's <laughs> possible. Know. It's unlikely. I, I think I think in all likelihood, Brad Lambert goes between ten and fifteen, but he could drop further. Um, and but other guys that are likely going to be available in with the Habs uh, Calgary pick are uh, Denton Matejchuk. Uh, I think Noah Ostland is a really entertaining one from Sweden. Uh, and then the other guys, Gleb, Tr- Gleb Trikazov and Seamus Casey. Those are the four names that I would really, really be hoping would be available at that at that slot. And I, I really do think there's a likelihood of three of the four being there. And if that's the case, and the Habs pick one of them, the Toffoli trade looking a lot better already. Whereas if they go maybe like going for more of a safe selection rather than the upside, like a, like a Marco Casper, then I'm a little bit less happy with the return on the Toffoli trade. But either way, I'm, I'm excited that the Habs added a first-round pick, and I'm really hoping they're able to add another few between now and the trade deadline because the more first-round picks you have, the more shots you have at players that will eventually fall because every single year you have players that should go top 10 that fall, players that should go top 20 that fall, first-rounders that fall to the third round. Happens all the time. And yeah, just get as many like picks as possible and really, really go for the upside. And I think the rebuild, the rebuild will be looking pretty good with that. Oh yeah. Because like, you never know what the player that you've, you know, sacrifice 
can end up being in the long run, right? I mean, yeah, it's 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 it sucks to have treated Tyler to Foley. Like we're gonna feel that one for a while and everything. But if you tell me that you know uh, Tyler to Foley transforms into a Frank Nazar, for example, and if you're actually or even Ooh, in that, I would that, love in, Frank Nazar. Yeah, you know, or or a Jimmy Snuggerud or something like that. I mean. Okay, you know, we're looking at some like high like, you know, high profile prospects and everything and that could actually, you know, uh work out in the end, but again, like I said earlier, we're not going to go through a typical rebuild. I'm like if this is going to be more of a retool than anything else, it's going to be bringing some prospects of course, we're going to probably bring in some veteran and then we'll see things differently, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it would be so cool to to see what we end up with, but I mean, it's going to be one of those situations where Technically, we should. We're still going to be fighting for the lottery pick at the end of the year. I still believe in conspiracy theories that the Coyotes are going to get the first, uh, the first overall pick because as a uh, compensation for this. If it happens this year, meh. If it happens next year, then I'd be really annoyed because I do not want to see Connor Bedard play in a three thousand person arena every night. Yeah, that would be heartbreaking. Yeah, but hey, if we if we draft second, if we draft. Logan Cooley, Matthew Savoie. I mean, you know, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not, I'm not going to say no to that. This is the interesting thing, right? With, because like with the Habs, uh, the fact that they're actually winning some games now, maybe they end up with the fourth overall pick or something if, they, if the draft lottery does not go their way or, or like somewhere between two and five. And right away, look, a lot, I know a lot of Habs fans would be extremely disappointed to miss out on Shane Wright, but... I mean, Josh, you wrote, you wrote about this this week that this is not the year to really be stressing about not getting that top pick. Next year, yes, right? Like next year, Connor Bedard, that is a type of player where if you miss out, that is heartbreaking. It will be a lot, it'll be mitigated a lot by the fact that the entire like top five or top seven next year is absurdly good. But still, missing out on Connor Bedard will really hurt for all the teams that do. Or even but this uh, year, or even Zach Benson, for that matter, he's going to be uh, wicked. N- look, like next year, you have the top top three. I think are really clear of uh, Bedard, Mitchkov, and uh, Fantilli, and then you have Zach Benson and Leo Carlson, and um, oh, another one in the WHL that I'm forgetting from. He's, he, he plays for Moose Jaw. He's the he, he's the centerman that plays with uh, Jagger Furcus. Anyways, well, there's um, al- there, there's also the the defenseman there, the American um, Hunter Brustowich. Who's I, I'm I'm not as high a, on him as oh, I am man, on the I other guys. He's not. Um, he's not. Ex- I've watched him quite a bit. I, I, he's I not exciting, he, but man, he's smart. He's a top. He's, he's a top ten player. Like, don't get me wrong. He's, yeah. he's 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 an excellent prospect. And if he were available this year, he'd be top five likely. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get me as excited as Benson or Leo Carlson or, or Adam Fan- uh, or Adam Fantilli. Oh, not, not even yeah. close to Fantilli. Fantilli um, would be. I, I'm sorry, but I imagine so many world, I imagine a world of Cole Caulfield playing with Adam Fantilli, and I'm like, oh, damn. Like, for for all the Habs fans that love Josh Anderson on the top line, uh, think think Josh Anderson, but as an elite power forward, that would be Fantilli. Fantilli is a tremendous player. Um, so ne- next year is the year to where you would fret about uh, missing out on the top three selection. Whereas this year, look, Shane Wright is going to be a very, very good NHL player. But at the same time, if the Habs end up with the first overall pick and I were in charge, I would heavily, heavily, heavily consider trading back. 
because oh, yeah. I, I think like I, Shane Wright's going to be a good player. Connor Bedard has the potential to be a generation. Exactly. It, it, it's it's a difference. completely different thing. And depending yeah. on how much other teams would offer for that first overall pick, I would really consider trading back. But again, this is just not the year where I would be overly stressed about that because no matter what, you're going to end up with a really solid prospect, but you're also going to end up with a prospect that in all likelihood is not going to be um, like franchise defining in any way. And like, like this, this year's draft, I think is pretty comparable to last year's draft um, in that it's pretty good, but it's not like it's, it's a solid, it's, it, it's a fine draft class. It's nothing to write home about. Uh, whereas 2023 is absurd. So that, that, that's my takeaway from everything that I've watched so far. Uh, there are a lot of players I like a lot, but where the upside is perhaps a bit more limited, right? Like, like someone like Ty Nelson is someone I, I, I love watching Ty Nelson play. Do I think he has any upside above a third or fourth defenseman in the NHL? Not really. Um, and, and he's been slipping on my board. I, I had him at ninth overall a couple of weeks ago, whereas now he's down to 14 or 15. So yeah, again, it, it, it's, it's not the greatest draft class of all time, but the Habs are going to have a lot of picks uh, this year if they do end up selling players and they're going to have a lot of ammunition to either draft players this year or swap picks for picks next year, which I would really be encouraging them to do because the more 2023 draft picks that you can add, the better, in my opinion. So if, if a team offers you their first next year for the first this year, yep, do it. Yep. Like obviously not like the Habs, like third or overall pick for like the Tampa Bay Lightning first round pick from next year. But like within reason, even if you're moving back, like you get three fired for moves spots, like that, dude. Yeah, yeah, obviously. <laughs> but um, even on podcasts, you get fired for mentioning Even on like podcasts, that. you would get fired for <laughs> such a ridiculous thing to say. But but yeah, like like, like Josh, I, I brought up your, your article about about the this year not being the one to, to stress about. Do you want to talk about that a little bit too? Yeah, it just started when I was thinking about the draft and when I noticed that Montreal wasn't in the complete basement anymore that they had passed Arizona by one point less when I was writing that. That I was thinking if Montreal got the second overall pick and say pick Logan Cooley, I'm just not that upset that they got Cooley as opposed to right, which that's really the thing. It's all a crapshoot when it comes to the draft by year because you get the year where you get Connor McDavid and then you get the year where you got Jack Hughes as the first, and like no offense to Hughes, but he's no Connor McDavid. Yeah, and no good, offense though. to Wright, but he's, he's good. Like this, he's Wright's going to be very good, but yeah. is he going to be the guy, the franchise cornerstone that you build the your team around? No. Pro, I mean, he could. It's I he, guess again, possible, but he, he he still could. But it's not looking like it's going to. He's he's not looking like it's going to be a top fifteen or top twenty player in the league. Put it that way. Exactly. Yeah, Might end so up being that, like an Aaron, an Aaron Eggblad situation where, you know, like he was, he was the best of his class, but you don't build a team around Aaron Eggblad. He's an amazing player. This, this he's, year he's been tremendous though, right? He's so, an amazing, yeah. He's aging like fine wire, but at first it was like, no, you don't build around him. You build with him. It's, you know, there's a difference, right? 
For sure. And I think that, that yeah, that's so. actually a really good observation too, Pat. Like Shane Wright is that kind of player for sure. And like Montreal might, like if they get him, it would be fantastic. And it's a great thing for Montreal because they already do have some really good start building blocks to go on. You got Nick Suzuki. He's still very young. You got Cole Caulfield, who's in his rookie year still technically. You got Ronov who's coming in, who's could be a top four guy for a long time. And then hopefully with Caden Primo coming up, you've got a goaltender, but he's not the guy that if you win five games in a row and get out of the basement, you're not freaking out about. You're not like, oh, damn, we missed out on Shane Wright. It's more like, oh, we get we get Logan Cooley, and he's still going to be very good, and he could be comparable to Sprite, hopefully, in the future if you get him. But I'm yeah. just not that torn up about it. I think Logan Cooley is a tremendous player. I, I Logan Cooley is is an, an incredible skater. Um, his skating blows that of Shane Wright out of the water. Um, he is super involved in transition. Uh, he he gains zone entries at like an incredible pace. So again, for all the Habs fans that have been in pain watching the Habs try to get zone entries on the power play for the last how many years, that would change with Logan Cooley on the team. And yeah, it's it, he he's he's a really fun player to watch. And same thing with like Brad Lambert. I I, I think he's a tremendous player to watch and has some similar uh, strengths with the skating and the ability in transition and the playmaking. Um, but yeah, like I still, I still do believe that Shane Wright is the best player in the draft class. I'm not like, none of this is to say that he's an underwhelming player and whatnot. It's more just losing out on Shane Wright and getting Logan Cooley instead is not the drop off between one and the rest of the pack. Isn't huge. It's and, not the end of the, it's not the end of the world by all means, but I think the important thing to realize is that if you look at the current middle line, Okay, of the Montreal Canadiens. You know, right now it's de facto, it, if everyone's healthy, it's Suzuki, Dvorak, Evans, and Paley, right? Maybe yeah. not in that order, but that's, that's your, your four guys. It's the four guys. You know, so if you, if Dvorak finally get, you know, uh, gets his playback like, 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 and become the player that he's supposed to be, it's already not bad. But like, I don't know about you, but like Nick Suzuki and having Cole Caulfield behind him, like they're, amazing players in their own right already. And the fun part, and I've mentioned this on Twitter a while back, they're not even close to their prime yet, especially Cole Caulfield. Josh made an amazing observation earlier. Like we don't want to be in a situation where, Oh no, we missed on him. But right now outside of maybe Jack Hughes and, you know, and Dylan cousins and Moritz cider for that matter, there's at least 12 other teams who are like, Oh man, I wish we took Caulfield. You know, like, like we're, we're so, you know, or Trevor Zegers for that matter. But like, you know, it, it, he's such a special player, not only as, as, as a player and a talent, but as a character as well. I mean, like the kid starts smiling and everyone smiles with him, with him and everything. And he's so much fun to play. And Nick Suzuki has, it's it, ridiculous how much Nick Suzuki reminds me of a young Patrice Bergeron as well. You know, the same kind of style, the same kind of like panache he has on, on, on the ice as well. Uh, definitely, you know, learning to be a, a good leader and everything. So, okay. If we lose on Shane Wright and uh, you know, and, and then we, we settle for someone else settling for second might not be 
as bad because we've seen a lot of drafts where the number one pick was not the best pick at all. And we could think of Neil Yakupov, for example, you know, being a great example, you know, like a, a first, a first overall flop, or even the, the year uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins was picked for a first overall, yeah. you know? So like it's, it, it doesn't necessarily mean he, he will become the best player, but in Montreal's case, the, the, the big difference with this year's draft and all the drafts going forward, of course, and you said it earlier, Sebastian, is the fact that we don't have Trevor Timmons anymore. So now we're not going to be looking for the best American player anymore. We're going to be looking for the right player that will, you know, and obviously, obviously you look for the best player first, but now it's going to be the right player. And I think having, you know, now that we brought in, uh, you know, a better team in the scouts, scouting department, and everything's going to be changing throughout the summer, guys, because make no mistake, there's still a lot of changes coming in yep. player development and analytics and everything. So that's going to be, that's going to take a and huge in diversity. role. Exactly. In it's going to be a huge role well. in, 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 uh, in picking the best players and everything. So um, you talk about 2023, but I think 2022 has been pretty, pretty awesome as well. I mean, and Ooh, oh, in terms who of draft knows? classes, I don't, it's not close. It's not it, like, Especially, but you know what? Top, okay, look, look. I, I can't, I can't speak to the depth of the 2023 draft class because I just haven't scattered that yet. But the the top end, I would argue there are four or five players in the 2023 draft class that would go first overall in 2022. Like, it, I don't, I don't think it's comparable, honestly. I, no, I just, uh, not in the first round, but it's not in the first round. But, but you, ha- but you have to think that 2023, all these kids are 15, 16 years old. So it's not, you know, we still oh, have look, time look, to ev- see ev- how things ev- are going to change. Every oh, single yeah. year, everyone's like, oh, the draft class two years from now is so great, right? Like, like a couple of years ago, we were saying, oh, Shane Wright is a generational talent, right? Yeah, exactly. And things can always change. At the same time, um, Connor Bedard, it, it, like, we're not, no one's arguing against that. Same thing with Fantilli, same thing with Mitchkoff. Zach hey, Benson, me... I'm more impressed with than basically any player that I've watched in the 2022 draft class already. So, yeah, there's a lot of that going on. Let me but, let me ask you yeah. a question, Sebastian, and, and Josh. I, I'd love to know your answer as well. So, like, I, I just I, I just want to stir up some crap here. Uh, <laughs> Canadians go through the lottery draft, and uh, Bill Daly takes the card out that we're selecting third, fourth, maybe even fifth overall. Let's say mm-hmm. you got some picks with Ben Sherratt. You got a pick with Tyler Toffoli. Um, you know, maybe you got a first if you decided to trade Lekanen. Um, mm-hmm. Do you trade a top five pick in order to oh. get I, an, upgra- I, an, an upgrade right away? I'm not talking about trading a pick in order to get a prospect or whatever, but like, unless... Okay, Alex what what kind like, of player are we talking about? Are we talking about a player that's younger than 25 or are we talking about an established 28-year-old? Either or, like, like we're talking about like a, like an, an elite first first line forward, for example, you know, or top two defenseman, or you know, like I'm or unless what did the Rangers call and they say I'll give uh, give me your number five pick, I'll give you Alexis Lafreniere. Oh, easy, I, I'd say yes to that. No yes, questions asked. But yeah, honestly, look, if someone if someone came and offered like if if Arizona's like okay, oh, let's say we, let's let's you, you call Florida for example. And they were willing to give you Jonathan Huberdeau, that kind of trade. Oh, do you yeah, do I it? Mean, okay, okay, yeah. Obviously, that I'd say yes to, even if it's just to flip Huberdeau to get way more in return because he's worth more than a fifth overall pick. Yeah, no um, <laughs> but okay. 
thinking of a trade, I, I don't have to like name any names here, but where it's like relatively fair value for a solid first line forward uh, for a fifth overall pick, would I do it? And if we're saying like not flipping that player to get more in return, I would say probably not purely because it would go way against what this team should be doing, which is going through two years or so of rebuilding because yeah, but you know, what but if the he, thing is, like, what if you're offered like a Miko Rantanen, for example? Uh, no, but like the, 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 that, that, that's a, such a boring thing to mm. say because firstly, it's never going to happen. <laughs> secondly, you say yes, obviously, never, right? Like, yeah, I, but you no, never no know. Asked, you never. No, but like, no, Pat, come on, like, like, like some of these questions, it's just like, wait, but like, wait, obviously, the, the obviously point, look, there's if a you point to this. Big David for a second round pick. I'm saying yes, even if we're going through a rebuild, right? Yeah, like, no kidding. I'll like throw Lilo Deline. I will go at it as well. Like, like no, the, the point, top 15 play in the league. I'm obviously saying okay, yes for a fifth minutes. overall pick. I'm saying though that this is a possibility because everyone is strapped for cash right now. Nah. Right. There are so uh, many teams who can't up against the cap, and there are so many teams who cannot spend close to the cap as well. They're going to be forced to unload some of these players. But the, they're going to. So they're going to be maybe there's an opportunity. Liners, not 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 their top players. Like okay, look, if you get an offer that you can't refuse, and obviously you say yes for a fifth overall pick, because I, I don't think the fifth overall pick is going to be like like fifth overall pick this year is not the same as fifth overall pick next year is what I'm saying. Like, I think you're getting a very good prospect, but it's not franchise altering in in any way. Um, So if you get an offer that you can't refuse, then sure. Like like, take it uh, obviously. But uh, in terms of like, actually, because thing is, look, if a team is strapped for cash, they're not, they're not trading their superstar forward. They're going to trade their four, like like a couple third liners, right? Like you saw, you saw Tampa do it last year, right? Like, like in the off season, they didn't have the money, so they got rid of their entire third line rather than getting rid of like one Kucherov or one point or one Stamkos. So I, I think that's a lot more likely of what teams are going to do. Um, but I, like what, what I think that a lot of teams should consider if they're taking a top five pick this year is going to be trading back because this is like one of those drafts where trading back, I think, is the wisest decision that you can make because mm-hmm. I... I am not blown away by it. It's like, okay, blown away in like the sense of like, of like a Bedard or Mishkov or Fantilli of like, I want this player at all costs. I not a single player in this draft class has been like that to me. Uh, so if if a team is like, let's say the Habs end up with the first overall pick, if a team offers me the tenth overall pick the 24th overall pick and then like a second or even two seconds or something. I'm saying yes to that. Like I, I would gladly then take like Brad Lambert, uh, Seamus Casey, Gleb Trikozov and whoever else. I, only because, I, I would do that. Only because Shane Wright is not a sure thing, right? Oh, okay. Sure thing is like, like he's going to be an NHL player. He's going to be a, a, I think he's a very, very high floor. Like I, I, I really struggle to see a world where, where Shane Wright does not become a second line center. He's going to be a very good NHL player. And at the same time, especially going through a rebuild, you want to take swings on the upside. And Shane Wright has great upside. But if you can take four swings in the top, like, 40 picks instead of one, I would do that. Uh, but, yeah, it's definitely the year where I would consider trading back. Uh, for those who don't understand the concept, very quickly, um, 
why would teams trade back? I mean, us three, we understand because we've been following the game for a million years and everything. Yeah. But I mean, for but like for, for, for the casual fan who might who might yeah, be sure. listening, like why would a team even consider trading back if it means getting a lesser quote unquote of a player? Okay, well, because first of all, the draft is never a, th- a sure thing. It's not like you, it's, it's not even like the NFL draft where you're drafting players that are like 22, 23 years old, uh, where you have much more of a known commodity. These are 17, 18 year old players, and a lot can change in their development, which is why the NHL draft is quite different from a lot of other pro leagues because these players are so much younger. Uh, so being able to get multiple shots at different players and betting on their upside is often a wise decision. And like if, if I were a GM or a head of scouting of a team, I would be campaigning to, to trade back in the draft a whole bunch. Like I would not be trading up for basically anyone. I would just be trading back, trading back, trading back, because there are always players that you're really high on that don't end up getting drafted by anyone. And just maximizing your chances there, I think is uh, what I would personally do. So being able to get maybe three or maybe even four like high-end draft picks in return for the first overall selection is especially in a draft where you're not getting a franchise altering player is a way to ensure that you get a lot of players to fill out your lineup in the future and like like have bring bring real quality to the team as well so that would be my little quick explanation for that. And I, th- I think with that, we should probably uh, end this episode because <laughs> we've been rambling on for a little while here. And I do have to edit this as well. So uh, rambling on this long has been shooting myself in the foot a little bit. But it's yeah. OK. It's a great it's a great song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you to both of you for uh, joining me for this episode. And thanks, Pat, for giving me the reins with the hosting today. It was no fun. Worries. And I'm glad that, th- that you were able to be lazy today. So, yep, yep, yep. I think we should do this more often. I enjoy this laziness of uh, being able sure to do. do whatever's in my mind like this. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh, with that, thank you to everyone for listening. And we'll see you again next week for another episode of Puck and Roll. See ya. I'm much obliged to such a pleasant stay. But now it's time for me to go. The autumn moonlight's my way. But now I smell the rain, and with it came, and it's heading my way. So tired